time every day that the meaning can begin to drift away and I'm just saying words without much meaning behind them. And I believe this is what Jesus is beginning to speak about when he talks about giving, when he talks about praying, when he talks about fasting. But prayer in particular, it's our way, it's the Christian way of communicating with God. We, we pray to praise God, we pray to thank Him, we, we pray to tell Him how much we love Him, we pray to just enjoy His presence in our life. We make requests, we, we ask God for guidance, we ask for wisdom. And it's this interchange, this relational part of our life, our this interchange, this communication with God is so central to what we do and believe and think as followers of Jesus. Now, the Zondervan Publishing House a few years ago conducted a survey regarding Christians and their satisfaction with their prayer life. And less than 5% of those people that responded to this survey were satisfied with the status of their prayer life. That means 95% of people feel like I should be doing more. I should be doing better. There's something missing within my prayer life. Now, I don't know where you would put yourself today. I know that within this room, we've got people that are warriors of prayer, that this, that is a, a central part of your day, and it is a central part of your relationship with God. And there may be others that you would say, prayer is challenging for me. There, there are some things that, that make uh, prayer difficult for me. And I think you wouldn't be alone in that. I think, uh, as I was thinking through this, this week, there's, there's certain advances that we've made in our world that, that change how we pray. And I've mentioned this in, in the first hour in my study group that, you know, 100 years ago, we didn't have satellite maps of weather. And so we couldn't, you know, when people would pray, they would pray for rain or they would pray for God to do something. And now we, we, we've got maps that can tell us, hey, there's a low pressure system coming and rain's on its way, or there's high pressure and there's not going to be any rain for some time. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that God can't intervene in those things. I believe that God definitely can intervene in those uh, situations, but I think some of the advances that we've made even in, in medical uh, knowledge and different things makes us approach things perhaps differently as we think about prayer. Maybe some of you are just skeptical. And, and you're not even sure that God is for real or that, that when I pray that God hears uh, what I pray. So there's that, that skepticism that makes uh, prayer difficult. Our prosperity, in our context, I believe our prosperity uh, our, and our relative wealth can make us less reliant on God. Because we, we recognize, hey, I've got money in the bank or, hey, I've got a paycheck coming this week or, hey, if... if I've had a need here, I'll take care of it. And so our relative prosperity and wealth can make prayer difficult. Time pressures. Uh, there may be times that uh, our schedule just pushes our ability to uh, spend time with God on a regular basis uh, to the side. Maybe our, our inexperience or our confusion about prayer or our lack of knowledge or not knowing what to say or feeling just inadequate before God might make it difficult for us to pray. Our approach to prayer might make it difficult, that we see it more as a transaction. I say this to God, God does this for me. I ask God for this, God provides that, and it just becomes this transaction 
between me and God, nothing very personal. I just ask and it's supposed to happen. And so that can affect our prayer life. We can have preconceptions about God. Maybe we feel like God is huge and distant and, and he doesn't hear. Or maybe God's unapproachable. Or maybe God's busy with more important things than, than my needs. Or that God's impersonal. So those preconceptions can affect our prayer life. Or maybe it's unanswered prayer. I mean, after all, Jesus said, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And I've asked and I've asked and I've asked and God is not answering. Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer. And as a result, and he's written on some other topics, and as a result, he gets a number of letters and emails from people with questions about their faith. And he received a letter one time from two parents. And the letter basically said that they had been praying for years and years for their emotionally troubled son. And one day that they had gotten a call from their daughter and just found the young man, 22 years old, dead from a suicide. And the letter to Philip Yancey uh, basically recorded this very simple question. Lord, we prayed regularly for all three of our children. Did you not hear our prayers? And so some of you, perhaps even this morning, may be dealing with a similar kind of an issue. You've maybe prayed and prayed and prayed and you feel like, is God hearing my prayer? Does God even hear when I ask or, or when I pray to him? And Yancey says in response to that, that in his mind, prayer is the most subversive act that we can perform. Because even when our faith isn't in question, if I'm willing to go to prayer, if I'm, if I'm willing, even when I'm doubting and struggling, if I can summon the courage to pray, it shows that my faith is intact. Because there are times that we don't, we don't understand what God's doing, how God's responding, or his seeming lack of response. But yet, the question is, will I continue to pray? Will I can persist in asking and praying and going to God? And I think about David from the Old Testament. One quick story of David in the Old Testament is that his first child, some of you may know the story, his first child um, was born out of a, a situation with Bathsheba that uh, was extramarital. And that child was born and, and got sick. And immediately David went to prayer for that child. For a week he was praying for God's mercy to intervene in that child's life. And then the child died. And David's helpers, his assistants, they, assistants, they were sure that he would be angry, that he would be inconsolable. They didn't even want to tell him. They didn't, no one wanted to tell David that his son had died. But they did. And David got up, cleaned up, got back to work. And basically his response was, as long as my son was alive, there was an opportunity for God to intervene, but now that he's dead, God has done what he was going to do. And, and so David got back into his life. And so I think about 
prayer, it can be challenging. It can be difficult. And we have to recognize that prayer may not change my circumstances, but it may have more to do with prayer changing my attitude and my response to the circumstances around me. And so let's look at what Jesus had to say about prayer and the model that he gave for us. Let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. And we're going to pick up at verse 5. And we'll look at 5 through 8 right now. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus says, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. When you pray, again, just like last week, there is not this, there is, I should say, there is this assumption that you will pray. Jesus doesn't say if you pray, just like He didn't say if you give. He says when. When you pray, Three times he says it in these four verses. When you pray. So to me, it begs the question, two big questions actually. Why should we pray? And then how should we pray? So why should we pray? Well, Jesus says in verse 5 and 6, we should pray to be seen. The hypocrites are praying to be seen by others. The sincere people are praying to be seen by God. Because he says, the hypocrites pray on the street corners, standing so everyone can see them. But he says, when you pray with genuineness and with sincerity, go into your room, close the door, talk to God, so that God will see what you're doing. So, we pray to be seen we pray to be heard verse 7 the pagans felt like they would be heard by their many words the the more the longer i pray the more impressed god will be perhaps so we pray to be seen we pray to be heard and we can fall into the trap sometimes of a feeling like we're praying more to the people around us than we are to God. I don't know if you've ever been in a group and been praying and, and feel like in the middle of your prayer, you're praying more to the people that are in your group than you are talking to God. I talked to some people this week that said they definitely had been in a prayer group when they felt like they were being lectured to by the person that was praying. And so there is this sense that we can, I don't maybe have the courage or the guts to tell this person face to face, but maybe in my prayer... I can couch it in this spiritual, spiritual language and make it sound like I'm talking to God, but I'm really talking to the person next to me. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know if that happens with your prayer time or not, or if you've experienced that, but Jesus seems to think that that was happening. So we fall into the trap of praying to the people around us rather than the God who hears us. And then Jesus says something that... Uh, 
I mean, it just, I, I feel like it was what struck me this week, and it's in verse 8. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, again, related to the why should we pray. Why should I pray? If God already knows what I need, before I even ask Him, what's the point? Why do I pray? And the first thing that popped into my mind is, perhaps prayer is not just about asking God for things. Jesus makes it clear, God knows what we need. But it became clear to me, as I was looking at this passage this week, that prayer is much more than just asking God for things. And if we have turned our prayer time into asking God for things, how far short have I fallen in what God wants me to experience, what he wants to experience with me when I pray? So I started thinking about that. And I, so I posed the question in my own mind that, well, maybe uh, prayer is more than just my obvious needs. If that's the case, then what is prayer about? And it occurred to me that prayer is highly relational. That, that prayer brings me into, a, into deeper intimacy with God. When I put everything else aside and I, and I take the time, even within a group, to talk to God, it brings me into deeper intimacy with Him. And it puts me in a proper place in my heart and in my mind. And I welcome God into my life. And I become, as Paul said... Paul said in 2 Corinthians that we are co-workers with God. That as I come to God in prayer, I become a worker with God. That God chooses to use me as I pray, as I'm praying for others, as I'm praying for circumstances, as I'm interacting with God, I'm a co-worker with Him. That when I pray, I worship. It occurred to me as we were singing this morning that the songs we were singing were prayers. Yes, they were songs. But those were prayers that, God, we welcome you to this place. Almighty God, we welcome you to this place, into my life, into this room. That prayer is, part of our prayer is worship. Part of our prayer is confession and repentance. That I recognize my sin before God. That I am inadequate. That there are things in my life that have pushed me away from him and that as I confess and as I repent it allows me to draw near to God in a deeper way and that's part of what prayer is about and, and I really believe that prayer ultimately is the greatest act of humility that I can demonstrate that when I humble myself and I recognize that I'm completely dependent on God it puts me in the right place to be involved in prayer. So I don't pray just to ask for things. I pray to achieve greater intimacy, greater connection, greater recognition of God in my life. That's why I pray. So how? So that's the why. I, I pray because I need that connection. I need that intimacy with God. God wants that with me. God desires that connection with, with me. And so prayer becomes more than me just reading through my grocery list of things I need God to do for me. I, I actually come and I have a conversation and I listen and I'm wait, waiting to hear 
from God. So how does that happen? Well, I believe uh, Jesus gives us the model. And so I'm going to ask you to hold your spot in Matthew 6, but let's look at Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, I'll start at verse 15 of Luke 5. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus is our model here, right? Jesus is our model. And the first thing I noticed in Jesus is that he would get away, that there were times he would get away. Flip over one chapter in in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. This was before one of the the biggest days of his ministry when he was choosing his 12 disciples. In chapter 6, verse 12, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. So the night before he, he designated the 12, he spent all night in prayer by himself in solitude. He's our model. Jesus prayed together in Matthew 18. We won't look at that right now, but Jesus says, when two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am there among you. And so we can rest assured that Jesus wants us to pray together. It's part of what he modeled. He wants us to pray often with persistence. In Luke 11, there's a story Jesus tells of a man who had his family tucked into bed at night. He and his wife had laid down, doors locked, and his neighbor comes over looking for something, for some bread. And he tells him, leave me alone, my family's in bed for the night. But the neighbor keeps knocking. And eventually, the man gets up and gives him what he wants. And Jesus says, that is how you should persist in prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That we would be persistent. Jesus is our model of persistence. Jesus prayed honestly and Jesus prayed boldly. I think of Gethsemane right before he was crucified. His bold prayer to his father was, hey, if this can pass from me, if we don't have to do this crucifixion thing, father, please, if there's another way. His boldness and his honesty before his father. Jesus is our model. And Jesus prayed for others. In John 17, the whole chapter of John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. And part of that prayer, as part of that prayer, Jesus prays for us as we sit here today. That we would be one, that we would be unified. Jesus prayed for others. And Jesus is our model. And then Jesus gives us a model as well. And so I want us to look again at, back at Matthew 6. And we'll finish there this morning looking at this, this model prayer. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. And I would say this, uh, here's my take on, on this. I, I don't believe that this prayer is, uh, it's, it's a wonderful prayer and many of us have it memorized and I think that's great. I don't think, I don't think Jesus is necessarily giving us this prayer for a, for a what? 
we should pray as much as a how, as, as a model for us to understand when we enter into prayer, here's how we should approach God. Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Hey, he said it right there, how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this prayer falls really into two sections. One section is related to God and His glory. The, the, the second section is some requests or how we can, what we can ask from God. So let's look at this a little bit more closely. You're familiar with the prayer, I'm sure. We call it the Lord's Prayer. We repeat it often. Let's look at it. The first statement that Jesus makes in there, our Father in heaven. First observation, note the plural there, that this is our Father. This is a prayer to be prayed corporately, something that we pray together. It also reminds us that this is where unity is found, that this is our Father in heaven. Not just one of many, but our Father in heaven. Prior to Jesus' day, there was the imagery in the Old Testament of God as Father, but God was rarely, if ever, addressed as Father. And here in the New Testament, Jesus is bringing a new picture here that he's reminding us of who this God is that we pray to, that, that there is just one God, that he is personal, that he's caring, he's caring like a father. And let me just say this too, I, I believe that God establishes the true nature of fatherhood, regardless of what your experience has been with your own father, that, that is another barrier for some people. Their difficulty in prayer is recognizing God as their father because their earthly father has been less than stellar. And I would encourage you to recognize that God has established the true nature of what fatherhood is and that you can call God your father. He's approachable. He, de he desires int intimacy and a connection with us. He is our father. He's in heaven. The fact that he is our father in heaven is a reminder that God is completely other from us, that he is sovereign, that he is transcendent, that he is powerful. He's not our earthly father, he's our heavenly father. <clears throat> Secondly, he says, hallowed be your name. William Barclay translates this, this phrase in his translation, let your name be held holy. God is altogether supreme in his creation. He is worthy of all glory. And we must give him that proper place. This is where prayer begins. We do not ask God to submit to us. We are submitting to God. God is completely and totally holy. He's different than us. He's, he desires a relationship with us, but he is completely other than us. And so when we approach God, we approach him differently. We treat his name differently because he's completely holy. 
And God, this, the fact that we call his name holy speaks to God's character of holiness. And so another translation of this phrase says this, God, enable us to give you the unique place which your nature and character deserve and demand. God, you are holy. We call you holy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, major theme, major theme in Jesus' teaching major theme of the New Testament. And so I'd ask you to, to ask yourself, what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? God, your kingdom come. What do we mean? What are we thinking about there? What is this kingdom? So the kingdom of God, you might say, is his rule. That God reigns over all his creation. So God is king and we are part of his kingdom. And that would be good. More specifically, I would say that his kingship is a spiritual kingdom in which God is king of those that have submitted their lives to him. And so God is king of this kingdom. John Piper, who is a pastor and author, says this about the kingdom of God. In and through Jesus, God, the king, is coming in a way, in a new way, into the world to establish his saving rule. First in the hearts of his people and in their relationships by triumphing over sin, Satan, and death. Then by the exercise of his reign, gathering a people for himself in congregations that live as citizens of a new kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's this rule and reign of God that happens within our own lives, happens within the, the, the body of the church, and eventually one day will be culminated in his rule of the universe. So the kingdom has a past, it has a present, it has a future. But let's, let's get a little bit better understanding about what Jesus is saying here when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a technique that authors, especially in Hebrew and a lot of times in the Old Testament, would use called parallelism. I want to give you an example of that because I think it helps us to understand what Jesus is saying here. Parallelism is a, is a technique where in Hebrew they would say things twice. They would say it one time and then they would basically say it again in another way to amplify what they had just said. I'll give you an example. In Psalm 46, verse 1, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Later on in verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This idea that a, a statement was made and then a following statement was made to amplify or help further define what the author is saying. So if it's possible that Jesus was using this idea of parallelism in this prayer, let's read that again, that the second part is 
amplifying or helping us to define the first part. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For your kingdom to come, for God's kingdom to come, God's will needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom breaks out where his will is being done here on earth. Yes, we anticipate a day where God will, in in a completeness, fulfill his kingdom. But in the meantime, our prayer is, God, would your kingdom come here and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that happens as we begin to live out the truth of God's kingdom. And we live in obedience to him as we submit to him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first part of Jesus' prayer. The second part, begin at verse 11. Again, three statements. Give us today our daily bread. People have tried to deeply spiritualize what Jesus is praying here or what he asks us to pray here. My thought is it's a pretty simple prayer. God, give us the things that we need today. And it's a good reminder for us to think about today. It's not that we never think about the future. It's not that we don't plan for the future. But God, would you give me what I need today? It's a reminder, I think a little bit of a reflection back to the book of Exodus when the people had left Egypt and they were out in the desert and God provided daily for them manna, bread, as they were in the desert. That we would just pray, God, would you meet my needs today? Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Before we can honestly pray this prayer, we've got to recognize our own need for forgiveness. Because really what this prayer is saying is, Father in heaven, forgive our sins in proportion to how we forgive those around us. Let me ask you to look beyond this prayer to Matthew 6, verse 14. Following the prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Does that ever trip anybody up? Those are hard words. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're called to radical forgiveness because we have experienced radical forgiveness and so as we pray through this again i i believe that jesus is talking with followers of his he's challenging those that would say yes jesus we believe in you and he's asking us to pray a radical prayer that until we understand our own need for forgiveness it will be hard for us to forgive others And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Testing and temptation, trials, these things come into our lives. And I believe God often uses these things in our life 
to make us stronger, to make us more fit, to give us greater faith and to strengthen our faith. I believe that's absolutely true. But Jesus also understood that there was an evil one who was seeking to do exactly the opposite of that. Rather than building our faith, rather than strengthening our character, the evil one wants to tear down everything good that God's doing. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, this prayer really ends with a reminder of our own weakness, of our own tendency to go our own way, to be led astray, to fall into sin, and that really the only answer for us is that God would intervene, that he would deliver us from the evil one. Jesus and the Bible sees evil as driven by an active, personal power that is in opposition to everything he wants to do. And so when we pray, we want to pray that God would intervene against the evil one, against Satan in our life. Now this morning, in your notes there, I've given you a, a back page or somewhere in your notes, there's, a, there's some blank space. And I toyed with the idea of giving you some time to write a prayer this morning. But what I'm going to ask you to do is take that, and, and I would ask you to do it today. That you would take some time, and whether you use Jesus' model prayer or you do something different, and maybe you have a habit or a pattern that you use in your own prayer life, maybe you're not used to writing prayers. Many of you maybe are not, and so this will be in itself a challenge. But I would encourage you to write out a prayer. And that you, that you would work hard to not fall into the idea of just asking and asking and asking, but that you would be talking to God, telling Him how much you love Him, thanking Him for who He is and His power, and then certainly for His forgiveness and that you would confess your shortcomings, and then you would recognize that we would all recognize our need for God to intervene in different places in our life. Prayer is not one-dimensional. It happens as a conversation. And I would uh, encourage you, as you write, that you'd also be listening to what God wants to say to you. So I'd encourage you to do that today. Let me pray for you. God, we are, we are humbled today as we think about even right now your presence in this place. And we think about your power in creation, your, your power displayed in the universe, the intricacies of our own bodies, the complexity of what we see around us, and we recognize, God, that you had a hand in all of that, and yet you still listen to the cry of our heart, but you still care about what's happening in our lives. And God, we confess that we, we harbor unforgiveness and we, we harbor other sin in our life and we need 
to be right before you. And so we confess our sin and we also repent. God, we would choose to go the other way and, and not allow this sin to dominate or impact or drag us away from our relationship with you. And God, we pray that your kingdom would come here, that your will would be done here, that as it's done in heaven, it would be done here, and that there would be a little, a little pocket here in Hanford at First Baptist Church where your kingdom is alive and well, and people see a difference because of how we treat one another, how we treat those that um, are different than us, those that believe differently than us, that God, people would see a difference in our life. Give us what we need today. God, forgive us when we choose to go our own way. And then, God, we pray you would protect us from the evil one that wants to drag us down. We love you today, God. We, we pray that you would show yourself, you would speak to our hearts, that we would sense your closeness to our lives even uh, today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, we're going to pray, we're going to, we are going to pray through song. We're going to, get, going to continue to lift up our God in worship. Would you stand with me and make this your prayer as we conclude our time together this morning?
judge would leave his chambers to pardon pardon bulls and thieves with the crown of thorns the veil was torn for me so we shout Make that your prayer this week, that as you leave, you leave with the, the confidence and the, the realization that God goes with you, that as we talk to him, this is the God that we talk to, the God of heaven, the God of earth, the God of creation, almighty God wants to hear from you, wants to interact with you, wants to have a conversation with you. Go with that confidence today. Have a great week.